On the day this podcast is released, there will be only 11 more days until Christmas. In honor of the holiday season, I decided to have holiday-flavored intro music, and another way of marking the holidays is to use this month to share some of the most popular episodes in 2022. This one originally aired in July. It is episode 48, and this is the episode in which two former employees of Ramsey Solutions, Kristen Moser and Dan Watt, share their experiences specifically as it related to team meetings like the one highlighted last week. This is the third most downloaded episode of this year. If you didn't already listen to the episode that I shared last week, make sure to listen to that one first. Much of what they share in this episode is in response to the material I shared in the previous one. And if you're in our Patreon community, don't forget to check the bonus episode for this week. I'm going way back in the archives to the very first episodes, and I'm going to give you an update on the plagiarizing pastor situation. Here we go. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. Before we get started today, I wanted to add a warning to those of you who may be sensitive to mentions of abuse or assault. There's also quite a bit of conversation throughout this episode about the use of guns. Please take care while listening. This episode is part two of a two-part series. If you haven't already, make sure you listen to episode 47 before you listen to this one. In that episode, Dr. Wade Mullen joined me to offer some impression management observations of a Ramsey Solutions staff meeting. In this episode that you're listening to right now, episode 48, I sit down and talk with two former Ramsey Solutions employees. I wanted to give them a chance to explain, in their own words, what it was like to sit in on a meeting like the one we just listened to, and what it's like for them to process this again from this side. Here's my conversation with Kristen Moser and Dan Watt. Let's have this conversation. All right, so I want to start out by having you guys explain your connection to Ramsey when you were there. Go ahead, Kristen. So I joined the team at Ramsey. I joined their marketing team in July of 2017. Um, I had been in the evangelical space for um, my entire career up to that point. I worked in um, Christian publishing and that had its own level of, you know, toxicity. And so I thought I was moving on to greener pastures going over to Ramsey. And that was true, you know, for a while. Um, I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed a lot of people there. Um, And then about the time COVID rolled around, my eyes, you know, started to open to some behaviors of leadership and some, you know, the directions they were taking the company. Um, And I ended up leaving um, in May of 2021. So I've been gone just a little over a year. And I started at the company in September of 2010. Um, I did not come from an evangelical 
I just came from corporate America and I actually had a pretty good job, but we were on mission. We were following the plan. We had paid off all of our consumer debt and I heard they had an opening. And so I went to to work there as a senior software engineer. Um, And just like Kristen, when COVID rolled around, I was starting to get uneasy about some things that were being said. Uh, And then we learned about um, some things that they had been not so truthful about, um, the year prior, and that really upped our timetable to to leave. And so I left in May of 2020. I've had a chance now to share audio of two different team meetings with people listening to the podcast. Um, the first one was from the what we refer to as the Got Your Six meeting, which happened in May of 2019. And then this one is from November of that same year. So November of 2019, which is only like six months later. So I, I'm curious if either one of you, were you guys in the room for those meetings? Did you know about them? If you weren't there, had you heard about them later? Yes, I was present for both of them. Um, the Got Your Six meeting never left my memory. I always remembered that one. That one stuck with me for sure. And then I was also present for the, the meeting in November, which listening back to it uh, in preparation for this conversation jogged my memory. Um, And yeah, I remember being in the room for that. I remember the feeling I had uh, as Dave said, certain things, it's all feels really fresh now. Yeah. How about you, Dan? So for Got Your Six, I was actually getting on a cruise ship down in Florida. Um, But while we were on our trip, I would, I usually would spend five minutes cleaning out my email, you know, just deleting stuff. And my boss had emailed me like, hey, you know, we need to talk about this when you get back. You know, this was kind of a big deal. Um, So I I probably listened to it at the time the company was recording staff meetings. And so I I probably had listened to it when I got back. Um, But I was definitely there for the November meeting. We were in our new building at that point. And I was usually sitting upstairs on the the balcony. So I I remember that one pretty well. Did you have any idea where it was going? where the plane was going to be landed at the end of that? No, not at all. I mean, these kind of conversations were so typical. Um, you know, if if we got through the staff meeting agenda and then Dave got up on the stage and put his hands in his pocket and sort of walked back and forth, we knew something was coming, some story was coming, and it had, you know, some big announcement or business information at the end of it. And it was, you know, we were just left to sit there and listen and speculate, you know, and at that point, I had no knowledge of the problems with Chris and Melissa Hogan. I, all I knew was what Dave was, was telling us that day. I had no prior knowledge about it. So yeah, I remember just sitting there figuring out what happened, what scandal is he about to uncover, something's going on. And, you know, you just, you sit there and speculate and you wait for the moment that he, you know, it's always just this big reveal of what the real point is to this story. So that's interesting. So Dan wasn't there for that, but you guys were both there for then the November meeting. Kristen, did you know what was happening with the November meeting, the pushback that happened online, the deposition that had been leaked in the Nashville scene? I guess a leak isn't really the word for it. I mean, it was posted publicly. Yeah, I probably knew about it at that point. I remember when the notes from Jack Galloway's deposition were released online. I remember pouring over that just because I was at that was a little bit before I, you know, the 
cracks in the pavement started to show for me. But at that point, you know, I was like, there's a deposition about something. I knew there was this lawsuit going on. And so I was trying to keep up with all of that. So I remember pouring through that deposition. So I, you know, I can't recall if I knew, you know, the second Dave got up on stage that that morning that he was going to talk about the natural scene article. But I think I was a little bit more informed for that one um, as to like what was going on ahead of time than maybe I would have been for the Got Your Six. I think we should go back a little bit. I There was a meeting prior to Got Your Six a few weeks before. It didn't, I kind of figured it was about Hogan, but it, it, it was so vague that I, I don't really remember the point of what he was trying to say. So, um, but it was this weird meeting. And so we, I had no idea really what he was talking about there. I kind of guessed it, but. This meeting that Dan is referring to is one my husband, Nathan, took notes on. He also mentioned that it was an unusual meeting with Dave mentioning that he had heard from an upset family member of an employee and he reiterated his commitment to the righteous living core value. So that provided a little bit of context for the other meeting that we that was later, but I still didn't make the connection uh, initially. But as far as the November meeting is concerned, yes, uh, the, the lawsuit the company was involved in kind of intersected my department. So I was definitely aware of it. And um, the Nashville scene article in question had been released the previous Wednesday. Um, so this, this staff meeting, I think was on a Monday morning. And so this was, you know, about five days later after the article had come out. So most of us had, had seen it by that point, I would imagine. So I figured that's where he was going, but it wasn't until later into the story that that was for sure where he was going. Yeah. So there's probably like, I don't know how many hundreds of employees that were there at that time. Were there about 800 or 900? I went back into my notes. I took paper notes at the point at that time. And the week prior, it was announced that we had 902 employees. Okay. And I would say probably people you worked closely with, Dan, probably knew what was happening, sort of. But of all those hundreds of employees, I would imagine a lot of them didn't really know what was happening because it wasn't impacting them. Um, so you know, there are a couple different departments that it might have impacted. But for the most part people wouldn't have been coming in thinking this is what was going to happen. Okay. So here's one thing that I recognized throughout Nathan's time at Ramsey is every once in a while, something would happen, something on social media or, or Dave would say something. There would be some video of him, maybe a rant that he did or a, or a spot, a media hit that he did somewhere or, but uh, every once in a while, something would erupt online with some pushback to Ramsey or there'd be an article that came out about something. And I just, I'm curious, how much were you guys aware of like outside uh, questioning of Ramsey or pushback to some of the, how did that, how did you process that? How are you, were you aware of that stuff, Kristen? Yeah, I definitely was, particularly once COVID ramped up and I saw the response, you know, that Ramsey was um, having to that, um, that's when I really started to clue in to, the media hits, um, the Nashville scene articles, you know, the ones about um, Ramsey's making his staff come into work when there's positive cases, the all the articles that went around about him hosting the Christmas party and making, you know, the vendors not wear masks. And then, of course, the January 2021 uh, Religion News Service article that I know you've discussed at length on the podcast. Um, so, yeah, I was at that point, I would say early 2020 is when I really started keeping my eyes peeled for that stuff, paying a lot of attention to it, reading it, 
watching social media. You know, I never actually engaged on social media because I knew that would get me thrown out of my job. Uh, We were told, you know, do not engage, do not defend us, which I've never would have done that on social. But um, so yes, I was a a silent uh, participant in basically everything that happened in the media in the last two years. So what do you mean by silent participant? Just kind of watching it. Is that what you're saying? Watching it and reading it and looking at all of the comments that people were making. And um, and I used it to validate that I wasn't crazy. Sure. <laughs> that was, I think, really almost helped me process um, and begin planning my exit because it was just it was just so much validation of what I was feeling. Kristen, what made you decide to believe, like give any credence to any of the the pushback? I mean, I kind of always, even from the beginning, knew Dave's a little off his rocker, right? But I just, I kind of buried it. I kind of just kept my head down and did my work. I remember listening to your discussion with with uh, Wade talking about what are the, you know, the different types of people in that room. I was definitely the quiet compliant one. You Mm -hmm. know, I always knew, you know, this, this guy's a little nuts. I don't agree with a lot of his viewpoints and his values and whatever, but I enjoy my job. I like what I do. I have a lot of good friends here. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. As things escalated, that's when I was really began to question can I continue here in good conscience? You know, does this support my beliefs, my values? Um, And, you know, it was made abundantly clear to me over 2020, early 2021, that no, this was no longer in line with my values. And I couldn't, you know, as a a follower of Jesus, I could no longer be a part of this. Mm, Yeah. I don't know if they were doing this in 2020. You know, there was just so much concentration of media, uh, you know, just articles and, and video stories that were being done on the company. But prior to that, anytime there was a negative article, they always would either forward it to everybody and say, here's a PDF. You can read it for yourself. We're not trying to hide it from you. And they were almost doing that as a, see, we're not a cult because we're not trying to control information. It's, we, we want you to be able to read this and see what people are saying about us. Don't criticize it. Don't, don't go out there and defend us, but also don't go to their website and give them hits because that's what they want. They want traffic going to their site. And if they see a lot coming from our IP address at the building, they're going to know that we're driving up their traffic. And, you know, we were always given warnings like that. And I think there were a couple of times very early on where they just printed them off. They didn't even afford them. And they said, if you want to see it, come up to the third floor to where the PR people are and you can read it. But, you know, we're not trying to hide this from you. What year would you say that years maybe that was happening? And when did that stop happening? Um, I mean, I remember getting one after Twittergate. That's kind of a pivotal moment. That was 2015 or so. There were there were okay. some after that where they would forward it to us. Um, I don't remember if the Nashville scene one was the, the one about the deposition. I don't know if that was forwarded to everyone okay. or not. In April of 2020, they didn't print off mine and hand it out in the office. No, no, (laughs) no. That's a pity. That's a pity. (laughs) So what did you think, Dan, when you would see this sort of pushback? Did it make you uncomfortable? How did you try to ignore it? Did you say, I want to see it? I want to know if this is true. (laughs) Yeah, I, 
I wanted to read it just to see what people were saying, but I was super bought into the mission of the company. Um, people knew that I had paid my house off while I was there. And, you know, we had talked about walking the baby steps. I knew that the investing advice that Dave gave wasn't the greatest. Um, and yet I worked for the department that referred people to investing advisors. Um, so I think I had to, I had to kind of bury that in, inside, you know, cognitive dissonance. Like I, I just didn't want to reconcile that. Um, but anytime there was a, you know, something that was actually critiquing the advice, I would try to read it and see if it made sense. And, you know, I, I didn't want to just listen to one source, even though I usually came back to that one source, but I was subconsciously, I think, trying not to shut off reading and listening to other people. Can you relate to that at all, Kristen? Or did you, or is that sort of you're like, oh, I think they're probably yeah. right. And I'm just going to hope I, Dave is quiet. <laughs> I remember being a fierce defender of every bit of financial advice that Dave taught and that, you know, Financial Peace University taught. And some of it, I'm not getting into consumer debt. Um, I'm trying, you know, to, to follow best practices in terms of saving and having emergency funds and all of that. But, you know, I, I think some of the advice is outdated. Um, I think some of it, it doesn't make sense for every family in mm -hmm. the country. And, you know, he was just dug his heels in on a lot of that. Um, I think you can responsibly use a credit card and not pay a dime of interest. My life over the last six months or so can tell you that that is true. You know, I would see people disagreeing with him. And for the majority of the time I was there, I'm like, well, these people are just wrong. They just haven't fully understood, you know, Dave's methods. But now on the other side of it, I'm like, let's take these things with a grain of salt. Yes, a lot of yes. it is good advice, but let's apply it in the areas that it makes sense for our families. And yeah. 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 Dan, I had interrupted you. What were you saying? I, I think the word there nuance though is a good one though. Like yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Dave's message I, lacked a lot of it. Um, Dan, you were aware of this one. There was a medium article that was written by a former employee about what it was like to be a woman working for Dave Ramsey. And I remember finding it. I don't know how I I don't even know how I ran across it. Somebody must have shared it on social media somewhere. And I remember reading it and thinking, oh boy, maybe she wasn't a good fit. But at the same time, uh, there are some things I just could not argue against that they were things that were some points that she made that I agreed with. And I actually messaged somebody who I, I trusted, who, whose husband also worked at Ramsey, saying, I just hope Dave doesn't say anything about it. I just hope he's quiet and just is chill and doesn't make a big deal. And I remember her saying, I just wish Dave would take yoga or something. <laughs> Can you imagine that happening? I can't ever imagine it no. happening. Maybe it does happen and I don't know. But I mean, at that point, and I don't even remember what year that was, uh, 2018, 2000. It was early 2018. It's, okay. The article was taken down rather quickly and it's only it being... available on the way back. But I was so uncomfortable with it, not because I didn't like people talking negative about the company so much, but I think the discomfort I felt was because I felt like there was some truth in what her criticisms were. And that was a terrible feeling. I just knew if Dave reacted to it, 
it would make it worse. You mentioned this, Kristen, a little bit already. Uh, and yeah. Wade talking about different things that he has learned and looking at impression management and different things with organizations. He said, and I'd asked him about like, how, how would this messaging land with people? And he said, it depended on like what category these people fell in, you know, or they completely bought in converted people. There's some people like that in the audience. There's some that are maybe checked out and not really paying attention for one reason or another. There are some that are comfortable, just didn't want to rock the boat. Some are on their way out. Some are actively resisting. I don't know how many can actively resist and stay. I would think it had to be a certain level of leadership to be allowed the latitude to do some active pushback in some ways. But where would you have been in the Got Your Six meeting era and in the 2019 meeting regarding the the gun situation? Yeah, I was definitely in that just quiet, compliant position of you know, what he's talking about doesn't sit right with me, but, you know, there's all of the just thought process behind, well, gosh, it's just, I don't want to have to find another job. I don't want to have to leave this place that I'm enjoying the work I'm doing. I'm growing. I'm learning a lot. Some of these people are my dearest friends. I just, there were, there were pros that kept me there and kept me sort of just quiet and compliant. And honestly, this type of behavior from Dave wasn't really new to me. Um, I've spent a lot of my life in the evangelical Christian world. You know, I'd say the last five years or so, I have been really disillusioned to it um, for, you know, a lot of the reasons that you talk about on your podcast. And so just these things that he was saying and these stances he was was taking wasn't new to me. um, And I was just able to disassociate from it kind of based on, you know, previous experience. It just, it wasn't knew it wasn't shocking to me. Um, and so I just kind of let it ride and was compliant because it just felt like par for the course. Kristen, did it, did, would you have been one of those people? And I don't even know how this landed with you when you listened to, or maybe when you re-listened or if you remember how it landed when Dave said in this recent audio, the 2019, uh, November, 2019, where he said, if you have to say, I'm a little kooky, you need to leave. Because I thought, oh, why would he say that? Because there's got to be a good number of people in the room. I don't know what percentage that are like, I love the mission of this place. I think we do great things. We help people. This is why I'm here. And Dave needs to stop talking. I just wish he would stop doing the things that distract. Do you remember him saying that at the time? The funny thing is, it's so hard to place all of this in my memory because talks like that and statements like that were so common for him. It was like monthly. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was all the time. So, you know, when you say, do you remember this specific talk from November 2019? I'm like, well, he probably told us that if, you know, if we didn't believe in every word he was saying, we should, you know, not let the door hit us on the way out. Like it was just so common that, you know, it didn't really shock me. There were times, and he said it in this, this particular meeting where he'd go beyond, you know, when your heart leaves, take your body with you. That was kind of his phrase. And he would say, you know, like, if you don't agree or you're not on board or you think I'm crazy, leave before I find you. Yeah. That was, that was scary to me because I just, I felt like I was going to be found out in my silent compliance. You know, somebody was going to figure out that I 
really didn't like the things that he was saying and I was going to be out, you know, I'd like that was, that was scary. And it, it scared me into further compliance and submission. Yeah. So that would really play into you wanting to dissociate during some of those Mm -hmm. meetings. Like, Dan, Mm -hmm. what were your thoughts like that? Like, if you think I'm a little crazy, if I, all I don't know about Dave, you know, if you have to say that, I, th- I think you have to realize, like, a lot of us were drawn to that kind of level of Dave was not necessarily a kind person. And when I when I listened to the show almost daily back in 2009, it was a tough love mentality, but he wasn't necessarily rude. And so I think a lot of us were drawn to here is somebody who's willing to say what needs to be said. And we just, you know, we, we were kind of OK with that. And I mean, to a degree, that's why the former president was attractive to a lot of people, not to me, but to a lot of people he was. I mean, I was fully converted until really April of 2020. And I, it would the thought to even like record the staff meeting wouldn't have crossed my mind. Dave is known, and we see this in, in this meeting and in the Got Your Six meeting as well, that if somebody's pushing back, one of the things that he would be known to do is to try to discredit those that speak out. So I don't, you know, both of you guys have been at least a little bit vocal in your um, disillusionment with Ramsey. Have you heard any reports of how maybe you have been, have there been attempts to discredit you, Dan, you're you're nodding. (laughs) I, I will not know this side of life, the, the entirety of the events that happened of May 18th of 2020, but the day after I resigned, several things seemed to start happening. And it kind of culminated both with you guys receiving a cease and desist letter. But simultaneously, there was a meeting where about 200 people, mostly the development department, Mm -hmm. had convened in which, you know, several people were slandered. And I probably got the kindest treatment, according to several friends that were there. It was basically, well, Dan was mad about something that happened here 10 years ago and he left because of that. And he needs to get a new hobby because he, you know, he actually dug into this. Is that the truth? No, it is not. No, I I left over something they were actively doing at that time. Although you could be concerned about a 10 years ago and a current thing. I would imagine. But I mean, out of everybody that was there, I probably had the kindest treatment. I did have a couple people call me and be like, hey, can we hear, you know, what the truth is? But it did cut off a lot of relationships. It it had that effect. That would have been an interesting meeting to hear. If someone's got a recording of that. (laughs) Man, it would clarify a lot of things, I think, for a lot of people that experienced some really, really painful things after after that day. For sure. How about you, Kristen? Have you heard of, have like, what's happening for you? Not really, because I played nice my whole way through. And even my reasoning for leaving that I told my leaders uh, was that I was moving out of Nashville, Mm -hmm. which ended up being true. You know, my family was in the process of moving, um, but I was going to leave regardless of that. Um, And that was just kind of the you know, a lucky way out to not ruffle any feathers. I didn't want anybody to slap me with an NDA. I didn't want to have to, you know, have that battle between do I take the payoff money and sign the NDA or do it, you know, I didn't want to have to deal with that. And so I just used, I'm moving out of Nashville. I'm moving out of Tennessee. 
as my reason. Um, and nobody knew a thing about my issues um, until I walked into my exit interview. And I let it fly in my mm. exit interview a hundred percent. But no one has reached out to me. I never heard from leadership. Both of you have mentioned this a little bit. These sorts of meetings happen sort of regularly. So it wasn't a surprise. You didn't you weren't like coming into a room being like, what what's going on? And I've only heard the Got Your Six meeting and this this November meeting, uh, the gun meeting. Maybe I need a name for that meeting. Um, and both of them start with a story. I think I said in the the previous uh, audio when I'm talking about my conversation with Wade is that it, that it seems to harken back to Dave's southern roots. All right. So is this normal? Is this yeah. does he does he do yeah. a lot of stories like oh, this? Yeah. And is it I'm- usually co- going to going somewhere real specific in the end. Yeah. Typically. Um, is it good news generally? Like talk to me about that. I'm really curious about that. No, no, it's, it's, he is a storyteller. I mean, that's just yeah. kind of who he is. He and is so, a powerful storyteller. He is. And, um, you know, a lot of his teaching is like that too, more so on like the live event stage than, um, yeah. radio, but yeah, that's, um, it's That's what we relate is. to. And it's what we resonate with. Yeah. I mean, the power of story is huge. I mean, I'm, I do marketing for a living. And so that's, that's a big part of, of what I do, branding and messaging. And so yeah. storytelling is, is a huge part of that. It's captivating. It's interesting. People lean in and they listen. So good tactic on his part, you know, to start these kind of conversations that way. But it never was like, now let me tell you this wonderful news. It was always some sort of shady scandal you know, that was going on that he would kind of eventually get to after winding through his long story. Yeah, I, I picked up on the pattern. It was usually a four point thing. The first one always being something about Antioch, Tennessee or Marvel. Then he gets into something that's a little bit more recent, but still isn't the actual point that he's trying to get to. Mm-hmm. And it's usually something about business. And then he gets to the meat of the matter. And there's usually a very quick turn. You don't really see it coming. And then he'll end on a positive note, either talking about, you know, some great thing that happened or at least something funny. I I, I learned that about a month before I left and I watched for it. And there was a meeting that we had. I don't remember if it was the day I resigned or the week before, Uh, but I think this has been reported. And maybe you remember this meeting too, that somebody had reported the company to OSHA. Yes. They they were upset at how the company was handling COVID. And I mean, for all we know, I mean, it could have been like the, the kitchen staff, um, but it, it could have been, you know, an actual Ramsey employee as well. Um, but somebody reported to OSHA and he, I, re- I remember this, this talk pretty well. It started Dave talking about like when he was selling condos or houses. So it was a job before he had started flipping houses. And then he got into talking about his golf game because he had become a golfer in recent years. And then he went into talking about people trashing the place. So there had been a couple emails link, linked to the Nashville scene. That was kind of people's go-to source. And there had been somebody that had reported to Ocean. It was, again, it was the same kind of message. Like, if you hate this place, you can't change it by taking stuff to someone on the outside. And if you do, we're going to do a 180. We are not going to do what the media is telling us to do. I do remember he used the phrase, you were a moron thinking that you could enact change by going outside of here. Mm. And if that's who you are, you need to leave. And he seemed very, very angry, like more so than 
any of these other meetings. And then I, uh, this must have been the week before I left because the week, the day I left, he said, you know, we had the desired result. Two people left after that meeting. Mm. And I don't, I, to this day, don't know who these two people are, but uh, it was, it was, it was, it was powerful. I remember that. That was around the time that, I mean, the scene was getting a hold of every single internal email that was going out, right? Somebody internally, I don't know who it was. I don't even have any speculations about who it was, but they were on a witch hunt. And this was probably a lot like what, you know, Twittergate was back a few years before I joined the team. But that was one of those turning points for me. That was, yeah, probably one of the first cracks in the pavement. You'll hear a mention of the term Twittergate several times in this episode, and I'll try to explain it as clearly as I can without taking up the whole episode. Twittergate refers to a time at Ramsey Solutions where somehow Dave and or leadership found out about a Facebook group, a secret Facebook group, where some former Ramsey employees were talking to each other and some people were venting some of their frustrations about the organization and their experiences there. Somehow it was infiltrated by Dave, or at least that is the message that he sent to people. And after that happened, he plastered pictures uh, and names of former employees on the screen during a team meeting for all of the employees one day during an all employee meeting, basically saying, these are the bad people. They're saying bad things about us. It was wild. Um, He also knew that there were some anonymous Twitter accounts that seemed to have internal information about Ramsey. I believe at that time he even offered a bounty for people to help turn in, turn in their coworkers if they knew any information about who was running these anonymous parody Twitter accounts. So this is why it's been called Twittergate. This is a more recent thought that I've had, but it, it did make me wonder if some of the people that were trying to enact change on the outside were bound by, you know, but I've come to realize there have been people that have been given pretty significant moving allowances moving credits, relocation assistance, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's it's a month's worth of pay for some people. And it makes me wonder if, you know, they realize they have to stay through one year of employment. They're taking out their frustration because they can't leave yet or else they're going to mm-hmm. owe a big chunk of change back. It makes me wonder if maybe it was someone newer, but it could have been someone who had been there for a long time as well. <laughs> Up until that that meeting the week before I, I left, I was fully bought on. Wow, that changed Real quick. It was, about a, it was about a year for me that it took me to actually leave. But yeah, yeah. Well, wow, Dan, I yeah. didn't know it was that quick for you. Well, let, let, you know, let's put it this way. We were working from home. My wife is a nurse and she was taking care of the sickest of the sick when COVID started. And they were starting to get COVID patients rather quickly. And the company did this thing where they thought they were being helpful to the community. So they sent... I don't know, 10 employees, give or take. And they were wearing masks. They sent them to a gas station near the hospital district in Nashville. And they were giving away, I don't, I want to say it was, you know, 10 or $15,000 worth of gas that they gave away to healthcare professionals. To set this in context for you, Dave had been pretty clear about his thoughts about COVID. They had a big cruise planned for their fans and some of their employees were planning to go and up until very, very shortly before they were supposed to leave, 
Dave was saying that he was planning on going, even if he was the only one going. And they ended up having to cancel that at the last minute. He was talking about events in the future and how nobody was going to be getting any refunds. Dave was pretty determined that COVID wasn't a big deal. Dave even compared it to the hysteria leading up to Y2K. And my wife saw that and she was just, it it sickened her that the company was taking the stance of COVID's not a big deal. We're not going to do anything about it. Yet they were trying to encourage healthcare workers. And she's like, what what we really want is for them not to be making this any worse than it already is. And it was a media spectacle. It was. And it was was letting your, your good deeds be seen. It was strange. Like I said earlier, we had these virtual staff meetings. We had, I don't know, four or five of them, I think, while we were working from home. And my wife just happened to walk in. And Dave was, it was like the very first virtual staff meeting we had. He was addressing someone who had leaked an email. It was something about your crazy spouse is doing this. And my wife heard that phrase, crazy spouse. And it really was, does he think I'm crazy? Yeah, if your spouse has concerns about COVID, it's your spouse is causing trouble for you. We took advantage of the fact that we could go on long walks over lunch since I was at home. It was great. And we started talking about it and we realized that was going to be probably my last year there. It wasn't until we found out about, you know, the Chris Hogan situation that the lack of integrity there that really moved our timetable. So valuable to have somebody that you trust and that maybe has a little bit of an outside perspective. Um, They're not sitting inside the room to process with. It's safe. You know, not everybody has that. Are there? Yeah. My husband, no, there were several times over the course of, you know, 2020. And when I finally actually went on maternity leave in January of 2021, there was several times over the course of that season where I would come home with something had happened, you know, X, Y, Z, several different kind of things occurred. And he would tell me, he said, don't go back, don't go back, be done. And I would say, you know, I can't for all of these reasons, you know, that came from my place of fear and anxiety, but he was so encouraging to, you know, not, not go back. He's like, I'll drive Uber Eats or I'll, I'll be a shipped shopper. I'll, I'll do, I'll do whatever I have to do. Don't go back. And so many times I have thought since then, I wish I hadn't gone back that next day, but you know, Our story was what it was and I'm out now. And, you know, I believe that, you know, God ordained my steps moving forward. And um, I don't want to look back and regret going back, you know, after my husband said no. But, you know, God used your time that you were there while you were there. Absolutely, I think it's fascinating. It really seems like there is a pattern of disparaging spouses Mm -hmm. of somebody that leaves. I'm not sure if it's some sort of a, pride thing, or if it's a way of not rocking the boat too much internally with people that have relationships with employees that leave, that really, you know, people that really enjoyed working with you, Kristen, or enjoyed working with you, Dan, I wonder if it is safer for them, if they think it's safer for them to say they're choosing their spouse. This disparaging of spouses is something Dave has been doing publicly. He doesn't just do it internally. At a Liberty University convocation, Dave told everyone who was there and those who were streaming it about how much he hated gossip. Dave said there was one little character whose wife worked for him who went to a bar and told the whole bar that Dave Ramsey was trying to kill his employees because they all went back to work. Dave then reported that he fired her the next day. 
And then he said this, I don't want her in my organization because she married poorly. Isn't it ironic that in Dave's ranting about how much he hates gossip, he tells a story about how someone gossiped to him, and instead of trying to find out what the truth was, Dave just fired the woman. That then, when, when you left and when my boss left, there was definitely some disparagement going on of the spouses. It was, you know, they, they don't see things our way and they chose their spouse over the company. Yeah. Which leads you to believe, okay, well, what's wrong with the spouse? There, it was never anything specific, but it, it was, oh, something weird is going on there. Hope their marriage is okay. Yeah. And you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't fault somebody for choosing their family. So it sort of stops that conversation too. It, it wouldn't lead you to reach out to that person necessarily. Yeah, it's, a, it's a private matter. They'll work it out. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, and um, I even remember in cases like that, Dave saying, you know, if it's between your marriage and your job here, choose your marriage. You know, I remember him sort of saying things like that, that I don't know, almost made it like, you know, okay right. in a way for, for that to be somebody's reason. Although, you know, he would turn around and I think that's about- the crazy making thing is the words are yeah. right in some ways, but then there's mm-hmm. more words and other actions that seem to discredit those words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know how often this happens, but in the this this November meeting, Dave talks about the Atheist Association of America and the Liberal Association of America. So are those real associations? Had, I don't know. So I need to know, like, as as somebody who has been disillusioned with Ramsey, are you now atheist? No. Is that okay? So Dan, are you part of the Atheist Association of America? No. Um, is there a Liberal Association of America, and have you joined it? No, no, no card carrying. <laughs> I, I, I'm not carrying a card of any political party. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so if somebody were to say, you know, Dan left, Kristen left because they don't actually believe in Jesus. They're not faithful to Jesus. Um, they are socialists. You would say. Not that true. would make my blood boil. If people were to, <laughs> if, if, if I knew that people were saying that about me, that they were saying I no longer followed Jesus and I have turned to a leftist liberal like first of all when did the gospel and politics get so intertwined you know yeah the when, gospel when, and the GOP right when when did atheists and liberals become hand in hand first of yeah. all but yeah. if my faith in Jesus is being questioned because of the things that I feel about my experience at Ramsey and the the things that I have said you know on on a public forum like this one if people think that I am no longer a follower of Christ, then they don't know me and they never did because that couldn't be further from the truth. I, and I think when, when he says that, the Atheist Association, the Liberal Association, I think he's really saying the media, the, the media that's interested in writing stories, they are looking for hypocrisy. And I think the company really has made itself a target because of its success. You know, here's Dave giving a countercultural argument and so if they are doing something that's inconsistent, it doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. They're go- it's going to be newsworthy. And I don't think Julie Royce had really had Dave Ramsey on his ra- her, her radar when I worked there. And I had left before the religion news article had come out. But here are actual Christian journalists starting to call out Ramsey Solutions for some of the things, and, and Dave in particular, 
on some of their behavior. And it makes me wonder, is the internal response a little bit different? I've heard from people who were there when the religion news article came out, and we've all seen the response to uh, that Ramsey Solutions issued. And I know people that left over that because it was very unchristian. So here, Bob Smetana, for example, is a Christian who is writing about the company and gets this very, very nasty email back from the company that the world has seen. It's almost like they're treating it differently because it's coming from a Christian. Dan is referring to the response Ramsey Solutions sent to veteran journalist Bob Smetana after Bob requested their comments on an article he was going to publish. And this was in January of 2021. This is the email that was sent from the public relations email account. Bob, thanks for reaching out. We want to confirm for you that you are right. We are horrible, evil people. We exist to simply bring harm to our team, take advantage of our customers, and spread COVID. And you figured it all out. Wow. Who would have guessed that an unemployed guy, oh, I'm sorry, a freelance reporter, would be the one to show us how horrible we are so we can change and to let the world know of our evil intent, secrets, and complete disregard for decency. But you did it. You, with all your top-notch investigative skills, have been able to weave together a series of half-truths to expose our evil ways. You are truly amazing. Because your personal virtue is so incredible, we want to help you with your hit piece and confirmation bias. We actually have audio of the time Chris Hogan farted in church, and you should have a listen. It is truly horrendous. A couple of weeks ago, our team decided to do a worship service today at 4.30 to kick off the new year. We would love to have you come. You can bring your camera and get some great shots because there will probably be someone without a mask. Who knows, there might be someone not socially distancing. And if you use those razor sharp investigative skills of yours, you will probably catch one of them with your hands raised in worship to Jesus. Which if captioned properly would prove we are an evil cult. Since this is today, it won't even delay your Pulitzer Prize winning expose of our pure evilness. Yes, you will be in a building where 1,000 people hate you, but we will assign security to protect you. This is how cults do it. Please let us know in advance if you can make it so we can personally meet you at the door. And thanks again for using your superior virtue to point out our pure evil intent. I'm sure you can find more if you keep looking. We are also blind copying several friends to ask their help as well. They are the pastors of the top churches in the area, several business leaders and Christian leaders who have known Dave and Ramsey Solutions for decades. Also, we are copying our whole team. If you are on this email, we would ask a favor for Ramsey. Would you help us? Bob's phone number and email are here, and we would ask that you would contact him today and tell him all the evil, horrible stories you know about us. Also, he lives in Spring Hill, so if you see him out and about, be sure to congratulate him on his virtue. He needs to sell the story to pay his rent, and the dirtier your story on us, the more we can help him. When you call, please do not be mean. Bob already has a lot of anxiety, and we don't want to add to that. If his phone is overwhelmed or he doesn't want to hear your story, you should contact Religion News Service and tell them of Bob's amazing grasp on virtue and truth. You can also tell them of all the people that have been helped by his pursuit of truth throughout the years as we have all followed his career. It is time the world knows about Bob and the blessing he has been to so many. That was one of those days that I went home and my husband said, don't go back. It was so strange. Um, it was the only time, well, no, I guess I guess not the only time, but um, one of two times I remember when there was an all staff meeting called 
you know, with 15 minutes notice. The only other time that happened was right as COVID was ramping up and Dave was telling us what we weren't going to be doing, which was working from home. But that's another conversation. But yeah, they called this all staff meeting and basically told us all of the dirt that was going to be in this article and that it was all fabricated half truths. Um, It was spiritual warfare. Everything that came up against Ramsey was spiritual warfare. It was never actual truth in their minds. Um, Although I will tell you from my knowledge, there's not a lie in that article. Um, But then, you know, they said, we're going to, we're going to send you an email of the article and we're going to send you our, our public response. And we're going to encourage you to also email Bob and give him your piece, a piece of your mind, basically. And I remember getting back up to my desk and reading that response and almost being frozen, not knowing what to do. And I'm watching my team around me read it and laugh and start typing up their email to Bob and saying, well, I'm going to send this and I'm going to send that. And I remember sitting in a meeting and there was this uh, leader on our team out loud reading the email that she'd sent to Bob, being so proud of defending Ramsey. And I'm just sitting there like, I don't know what to do. And at that point, I was two weeks away from having my son, not in any uh, place where I could comfortably say, see you later, I'm out of here. I just bit my tongue as hard as I could because maternity leave was around the corner. And I thought, let me just take that time and figure out what's next because I cannot. That was the absolute last straw for me. For the gun, this gun meeting, Dave insinuated uh, that the pushback was about carrying a gun. He never mentioned that. I know that most of the social media comments were about the fact that he pulled out a gun in a meeting. Like, did you realize at the time that he was arguing a straw, a straw man thing that that wasn't like, what are your thoughts now? And then like, I mean, as you process it now on this side and think back to what you were thinking then. So I was actually there for the gun meeting, the original one. And it was either late 2010 or early 2011. It was after I had started. Um, and I think this was in the deposition where said something about, did Dave pull a gun out of a paper bag? And I do remember him pulling a handgun out of a paper bag. Now, I don't remember if he was waving it around or pointing. Hopefully he didn't point it at the audience, but I do remember him making this odd statement. And I'm not a gun owner, so I didn't know at the time. He said something along the lines of, I need to make sure this thing was empty because I usually keep hollow point rounds in it. This is the gun I keep on my bedside table. And I had to look up what hollow point rounds are, which are one of the more destructive rounds in terms of the damage it can do to a human body. So I I remember that pretty specifically because of that fact. But it was a meeting talking about, you know, the danger of the tongue and gossip and how, you know, this gun can do a lot of damage. And but, you know, gossip and tearing this place down could do a whole lot more damage, almost like what he was talking about with the pickup truck in, in the recording. But yeah, he was making it out about carrying a gun, but that's not what people were upset. People were upset that he pulled a handgun in the middle of a staff meeting, not that he was carrying almost all the time. It's interesting to hear that backstory because I wasn't there for the original meeting. So I thought, well, did he pull it out as a threat to, you know, team members who gossip? This is what I'm going to do with you. You know, I, I didn't know what the context was around it, but I thought I wasn't fearful of him carrying or anybody else carrying. Honestly, there were several men who carried, potentially women as well, who carried there. And honestly, there were a few of those men who I trusted and felt safer with more. 
and I'm not a gun owner. I will never be one, but you know, there were, there were a few men there who I knew they like that almost made them feel safer for me to be around. There's one guy in particular on my team who listening back to that recording is probably the guy he's talking about saying, you know, he could shoot off whatever rounds. I don't know what he said, like super fast. I thought to myself, I think I know who that is because I felt safe and protected being near him. Um, so I never had a worry about them carrying it or them having any sort of accident with it. Um, I trusted that Dave knew what he was doing with his firearm. I just don't think it's probably a good tactic to pull it out in a room of several hundred people to prove a point. Everybody has a very different experience when it comes to guns. And in the South, sure, there are so many people who are responsible gun owners and they are fanatics and that's great and that's fine. But there are also so many people who have so much trauma when it comes to that topic. You know, obviously gun violence is rampant in our country. And so there's just a level of sensitivity that he wouldn't show to that topic. That's where the problem is. The problem isn't him carrying it. It's just so sensitive and there's so much trauma that you have no idea what people have gone through and what their relationship to firearms is. And so it's just, it's just dangerous to do that sort of thing. I think it's interesting. It's the way he wielded words in this meeting, talking about the gun, the way he used the words to kind of, you know, paint a picture that wasn't exactly true to people that were inclined to trust him and believe that he was representing the situation correctly. Wade mentioned the tactic um, that some use of condemning the condemner. Did you see that happening very often? Mm -hmm. During Twittergate, which again was 2015, specific people were called out. Their pictures were put up on the projection that we had in the staff meeting. And then, you know, to think about with, with Chris Hogan, you know, he specifically disparaged Chris's wife in front of 800 people. Mm. This reminds me of what you were just saying, Kristen, too, of like, you felt comfortable with these guys that were carrying guns and you felt safe. You, you weren't concerned about them. But Wade says, like, where does this where does this leave the person? Like what Dave paints this these like people that have concerns as being the others and outside of the group and that they they're not part of the normal group. Like, where does it leave the person that grew up in the culture or appreciates it in some ways, but still believes that a line was crossed? It's a difficult space to be in. And like I wasn't raised, you know, in a gun toting family by any means, mm-hmm. but I didn't have an issue with people, you know, choosing that for their family. And I mean, I didn't know specifically anybody, but certainly there were people who'd had a different life experience. And even, gosh, the comment that he made about somebody alleging that there had been three rapes at Ramsey. I just sat in there thinking, who are the women in here who are sexual assault survivors? Mm -hmm. And how are they handling this? And, you know, who are the people that have experienced gun violence and how are they handling this? And it's, you know, you can be completely okay with people expressing their second amendment rights, whatever, but there just has to be a softness in your heart towards people who have a different life experience. And that is what is missing when Dave has these conversations and in a room with that many people. Yeah. Yeah. Was it shocking to you when he mentioned that, you know, you know, oh, by the way, some crazy person 
you know, said that there were three rapes that they covered up at Ramsey. Like he just threw yeah. that out there. It's like a grenade drops. That's what he would do. I mean, I feel like so many of the things he said were for the shock value. I do assume there was someone who who alleged sexual assault or violence. I, I believe that 1000%. I think he probably exaggerated it for shock value, you know, and just thought of, well, this is another uh, thing I can say to prove my point. And there was no regard for the people who had that experience or had had that experience in some other area of their life. I'm not a survivor of sexual assault, but like, I I feel like one's heart needs to be prepared for that type of thing to be said. We hear the phrase a lot these days, trigger warning, right? And I think that's really, really important for survivors of some sort of trauma. And that is not a phrase in the building at Ramsey. And so you never know what you need to prepare your heart for, to be honest, in those types of conversations. And so in those moments, I just always thought of the people in that audience who Mm. that was triggering for or traumatic for. Dan, how did that land for you, that allegation that he just threw out there? Do you remember? Yeah, I I do. Um, So you have to understand the development department, really, the majority of my time there was demographically very different it was almost completely male. We had hired a few female developers prior to me leaving, um, but it was the majority of the team was white males. And I had worked at other places where I would hear off-color jokes, sexist jokes, and you just didn't hear that on the deaf team. Like the, the people there were very respectful of women. To think that that could happen, at least in the team that I was on, it, yeah, it was hard to Yeah, your particular team was... It's really special. Yeah. Um, there was one time I did hear an off-color joke about women, and it was not someone on my team. It was it, it was, it was a, someone in leadership. And it really, really struck me as odd when I heard that. I'm like, it, and so yeah. to, to hear that something like that could have happened, either exaggerated or not, it was hard to believe. Now, on the other side of working there, knowing how quickly Ramsey deploys non-disparagement, non-disclosure agreements to people who have had not so severe things happen to them. It makes it a whole lot harder to believe that they wouldn't attempt to use one of those if something did happen. Um, Especially when we've seen, you know, if you go back to Got Your Six, all of the men that Dave defended who had sexual encounters or inappropriate encounters with, and NDAs, I think, were involved in some of those. And we've seen that in other Christian organizations And then, you know, Dave goes on to say, you know, ladies, if you ever, ever feel uncomfortable with somebody, I would hope you would come and say something. And given the context, this is six months after a meeting where everybody was gathered together and Dave tells about all these people that were friends of his that had allegations against them. Some of them uh, would be from women that didn't feel safe around them. And Dave said that he had their six and he said basically he was going to believe them and back them up until they said they did the thing, you know, until they said they did the deed. What did you think? Like when he said, hey, if you ever feel unsafe, you can come to me. Would you have gone to Dave? Would, could you have gone to leadership? If it was somebody that was powerful and connected, would you have believed that Dave or leadership would have believed you? Absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. And luckily, I never found myself in that sort of situation to actually know what I would have done. Um, But, you know, particularly after the Got Your Six talk, I thought to myself, you know, if ever any man in leadership, any of Dave's buddies, any of the, you know, guys on the board or leaders of departments, or if any of them ever made me feel uncomfortable, like, I'm just gonna have to suck it up and deal because I won't be believed. You know, he just had so much trust in these men. And, you know, they're all upstanding, married Christian family men who would never do anything like this. And the majority of my experience with those men was that was true of them. You know, I never um, luckily found myself in a situation where I felt uncomfortable. But had I, I don't know if I would have had um, an avenue for that discussion um i think it probably would have been like well you were probably misinterpreting and or may do you think it would have depended on who you were who you would have been having that experience with how they would respond to it yeah you know and and potentially you know if it was not one of dave's buddies on leadership if it was you know a more entry-level guy maybe so thoughts on on these words from dave I'm a person who's motivated by loyalty and kindness and compassion. And I'm going to extend that to you. And I expect you to extend that to this place. If you're ashamed ever, it means you took the wrong position. If you need help leaving, we'll help you financially. I want you to hear a real peaceful spirit coming off me. Okay, so there's a lot there. There's a whole lot there. Uh, I would love to hear your response to any of those words, any of those phrases. I don't really remember hearing the word loyalty tossed around a whole lot prior to 2019. Got your six. It was a lot. Um, and I actually went back and listened to that. And he said, loyalty is a character trait. Toxic loyalty is not called for. That's a cult trait. We've got your six. We expect reciprocation. It's mandatory. You're either for me or you get me. This loyalty is not a fruit of the spirit. And kindness and compassion, sure, but loyalty, that's that's not really something that as a Christian we're taught to have loyalty to other people. Did loyalty you see evidence that Dave was motivated by uh, kindness and compassion? <laughs> he was so far above me, you know, in the org chart. No. <laughs> he, he'd like to put on displays of gen- generosity, but um, kindness is not a word I would necessarily ascribe to him no um not that he wouldn't have been kind to some people or you know compassionate to some people he he had moments for sure um but do i think that kindness was at the root of who he is and how he you know did he act out of a place of kindness most of the time no i remember a particular meeting when i got just verbally smacked by dave in front of my whole team Um, There was not a kind word that came out of his mouth in that meeting. That was, again, one of those moments in 2020 where I went home and my husband said, do not go back. So kindness and compassion, from my experience, no, unless it was some sort of grand PR gesture, like buying gas for healthcare employees or paying off debts of people across the country. That, That was, I guess, around Christmas of 2020, and that was... In my mind, a PR spectacle to distract from the bad press we got that year. At first, I thought, 
wow, what a cool thing. I'm so glad to be a part of this. And then as it sort of unfolded, um, it was so clear to me that it was just a PR move because I remember them being frustrated when it didn't really get picked up (laughs) by many outlets. It It was like just a blip on the the PR radar. And of course it happened right around the time of our big Christmas party. And so that's the PR that really got the focus. And so I remember them being like frustrated that people weren't picking up this, this outrageously generous thing that Dave Ramsey and his company did. And at that moment I was like, okay, I, I see why we did this. It wasn't just out of the goodness of our hearts. I felt a similar trajectory, like the pull to the company was those sort of grand, like generous things thinking the, the, what a wonderful place to be a part of. Right. I loved for my husband to work there, but the time we left, even right before we left, I was like, this is not about us. I don't think, I think this is, I think the Christmas party is like one of their biggest PR recruiting events of the year to get new people to be interested in coming to work there that it was that uh wild horse saloon christmas party i was like mm-hmm. i just want to go home <laughs> i don't think this is for us anyways <laughs> um dan i would love for you to specifically speak to if you need help leaving we'll help you financially around the time i left i became aware of the ramsey non-disclosure non-disparagement separation agreement um, a friend of mine had been given one and he very courageously said No. And what this looks like, or at least in the few people that I've talked to that decided they weren't going to have any of it, you're agreeing to not say anything negative about Dave, the company, its board, its advertisers. You know, it could probably be extended to the ELPs and radio stations. It's very, very broad. It's also attempting to bind your spouse to not say anything negative. Yeah, I think in the ones that I have seen, it talks about your agents. It binds your your agents. agents. I can't slip you a piece of paper and say, I need you to say this on my behalf. The number I've seen ranges from two weeks of pay. Three months seems pretty common for for people that were leaving, you know, on on like the person that I knew that was fired for spousal gossip. It was a three-month, basically, severance. Um, I've heard it as high as one year in one circumstance, but you are agreeing to take money to be quiet. And if you break it, there are repercussions for it. If you go up to somebody, would you assume that if you were to say, Hey, I was just in the meeting today, I was thinking about it. I really do feel uncomfortable with some of the things. So I would, I think I'm going to need to leave and I'm taking you up on your offer of the money to help me. What do you do? You think they would just give you some money without any strings attached? No, I know this is speculation. From what you have seen happen, what would be your assumption of how that would work? My assumption, based on the many people I've talked to, is that if you take money, there are going to be strings attached. Dave has gone. There was a clip that was made public. You know, they highlighted it, so they thought it was a cool phone call where Dave said, basically, I am not going to pay someone to run their mouth. And he believes very strongly that if you're going to get money from him, you will not be able to use that to hurt him in some way. That's the impression I Mm -hmm. I was left with after watching that clip. So I just want to clarify, if somebody is resigning, they do not have to sign anything to get the the money that they have already earned, the work they've already done. And I signed paperwork to that effect. 
Right. I did um, but if you're saying, I, I just don't feel comfortable here. I need to go. And I really do really would like to take you up on the offer of the money to help us so that we aren't like poor and unable to eat that, that extra money, the help you go away money we have seen this often. I don't know if I've ever seen a time or heard of a time where it wasn't accompanied with some sort of non-disparagement or non-disclosure agreement that somebody has been asked. Dave also says, I want you to hear a real peaceful spirit coming off me. (laughs) What are your thoughts of that, Kristen? You're laughing, covering your face. (laughs) There's nothing peaceful about a man who pulls out a firearm in front of his team. That's that's the opposite of a peaceful spirit. I just, you know, and he would t- he would tend to do this when he would, you know, lay the hammer down in these these sorts of discussions and be really firm and really shock value with the words he would say. He would and maybe this is part of that framework that Dan was talking about earlier and how he gives these talks. He's he'd ended in this just really like hear my heart sort of way that is confusing it's because everything we, yeah everything we just heard for the last 30 minutes is not from a peaceful kind compassionate spirit yeah he also said do you remember like i'm not defensive i'm not threatened <laughs> that was all part of that it's um, yeah it's gaslighting and it's i just wonder does he really believe what he's saying because i'm not buying it I don't think other people in this room are buying it. He had just threatened to fire people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to find you. you. You need to quit before I find you. Yeah. I will hunt you down and fire you. But please hear my peaceful spirited heart. No, that, that, no, no. (laughs) But you don't remember all the things, right? There's so many things coming at you Mm -hmm. is that you may just remember that end, the ending of the meeting that is, God is doing great things here. Yeah. We, We've people, got all these YouTube views. Yeah. People mm-hmm. are coming to know Jesus and that, you know, these are the important things. The other things are small things for small minded people. He said, and then this lovely prayer, you know, whatever. Like, so you leave with this, like, yes, we just had this big meeting. He said a whole lot of words. I don't remember what it was all because I didn't even know it was happening. And I, I know there's some bad people. We're the good ones spiritual attacks, we're going to follow Jesus. Does that sound like kind of how it would be processed maybe? Or am I off base? Yeah. I mean, you're, there's, you've got so much coming at you. You don't have time to process it. And you leave and you can't really go talk to your teammates about it because that would be gossip. And maybe your your leader would bring it up in your one-on-one later. Like, hey, do you have any concerns about the meeting? I know my mine did a few times, but you didn't really have any way to process it. And I, I wish in retrospect I had... If I felt one of those meetings coming on, if I had just busted out my watch and started recording it or something, to just listen to it later and just be like, okay, well, what did I just hear? Now, they did record some meetings sometimes. Did they have them like on a central drive where people could listen later? Was this Monday meetings, Wednesday shows, yeah. both? Mm-hmm. They were for a very long time recorded staff meeting and Devo um, and put those on a public drive that we could all access, which and most people I think, knew about you know, that. Is that right, Kristen? I don't know if most people knew. Um, I knew because I was in the live events department and it was my team that put on staff meeting. So I, I knew about that. I don't know if that was like widely um, no knowledge, you know, but at first I thought, well, this is great. If you miss a staff meeting, you just go back and listen to the recording. Like, I, you know, and I think that was probably their, their intention to begin with, but I think it was right around 2019-ish that those recordings just stopped 
being added to the public drive. Yeah, the development de- department definitely knew about it because I, I had gone back, especially the Got Your Six. I, I remember going back and listening to it. Well, I want to wrap this up with you. I think one of the most important things that Wade pointed out that people could do was he talked about this term called sense making. That is such a powerful thing of being able to, in some way, all right, step out of the situation and think through what just happened. I don't know how you do it when you don't even know if you need to make sense of it. But have you been able to do that on this side? Were you able to do any of that then? Do you think sense-making had any impact on your relationship with Ramsey ending or, or ending up where it is now? I've, I've made it a, a point since I left to reconnect with a lot of people that I'd worked with, including people that were disparaged during the Twittergate era and just taking the time to listen to their side of the story. And I wish I'd done it so long ago. Um, but just reconnecting with people then, people that have left more recently, comparing notes and be like, did this make sense to you? You know, you actually have a chance to talk, not to gossip or, you know, tear something down, but just like, hey, this just never made sense. Did it make sense to you? And it's surprising how many red flags have come up that a lot of people shared that, you know, we just we just couldn't talk about. And I think that's been very helpful post working there to reconnect and share stories. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the whole last year of my life has been a process of sense making of and processing all of this, um, which I didn't even really realize the weight that it had over me until I started having these conversations, you know, similar to Dan, I've connected with the two of you. I didn't work with Dan. I didn't work with Nathan. I, I hadn't met either of them before I had left Ramsey and, you know, found this corner of the internet of people who had a shared experience with me. Um, and so that's been really, really helpful um, to be a part of and to listen to and engage in those conversations. And, you know, in an employment that I've found since then, I am every day, it feels like I realize something new that's ingrained in me from my time at Ramsey that I have to undo. Mm, I've heard the same thing from some other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I don't, I, I am hesitant to use the word trauma because I know that there's, there's such heavier things that people experience trauma with, but it, I, I, that's probably the best word for it that I'm just uncovering every day of all of the ways that just psychologically I have been messed with over the last four years and all of the things that you know, the ways that I was gaslighted and all of that. Um, so it's, it's been a, a journey of sense-making and a journey of conversations with other people and experiencing uh, different employment that makes me think like, oh, is this, is this how it should have been all along? And it just wasn't that way because of where I was at. And, you know, there are moments of uh, like feedback and criticism is welcome where I'm at. And I still find myself incredibly fearful of sharing, you know? And so I, yeah, every, every day of the last year, the last you know, 14 months, I have been sense making and processing and healing a little bit every day. This was such a powerful conversation. And there's actually some bonus audio from this conversation in the Patreon community that I shared over the summer. 
I would love to keep this conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I am Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm Faith Untangled on Twitter. For more information about supporting the show, check out patreon.com slash untangledfaith. You can also find show notes at untangledfaithpodcast.com. The Untangled Faith Podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. A special thanks to my Patreon supporters. This podcast is made possible by support from my patrons. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic, Phil and Susan Perdue, and Pam Forsythe. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.